What are you going to ask me next, right? My bravery depends on what you're about to ask of me. But it's a question that I know I've struggled with growing up as a boy, as I'm sure many of you uh, who uh, are men of the male persuasion have struggled with, right? We want to figure out who's the bravest, who has the most courage, who's willing to do the, we'd like to call it brave, but it's probably the dumbest things, right? I, I mean, we call it brave, but many, many times it's just simply dumb. Like I remember, I, I think I was like in, in second grade maybe, and at that point in my life, the goal was just to jump from the highest point in the swings on the playground. Did you, any of you ever have that goal in your life? Like, I want to see if I can almost take this thing and turn it all the way over the bar and come back around before I jump out. Like, that was the goal. And I remember one day I, I'd hit the jackpot, or at least in my mind I thought I had. I jumped really high and I landed, but when I landed, I landed with my feet planted in the ground. My knee came straight back and popped me right in my own eye. Like I, I, and blood starts squirting out. I'm like, I busted my own eye. Jackpot, I get to go home, right? I mean, I'm bleeding. Surely they're going to let me go home. Turns out like a little scratch. I had to stay at school the rest of the day after I bled. Totally brave, right? I mean, as you get older, though, as you begin to do things like that, what happens? Oh, that really hurt last time. Maybe I won't do that again. You get less and less brave and less and less uh, willing to take risks as you get a little older. Like as we got older, I remember jumping off of high things into the water and those who did not uh, amongst our group, you know, we ridiculed them. I'm not going to lie. We made fun of them and said that they weren't brave. They weren't courageous like we were. And then as I got even older, I, I went to some friend's uh, house one time and we had a, a rope swing and I don't know how high it was. It was it was pretty high. In my mind, it was really high. I'm not going to tell you how high I remember it being because that would probably be a lie. And we're in church, as my wife reminded me already once this morning. And, and, and But anyway, so we climb up, and, and, and my buddy goes first. And, like, he goes out, and he does this huge flip, and he, and he hits it right, you know. And I've never been to this one before. And I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I'm not very athletic, definitely not very coordinated. I'm like, I can do that. I so got this. So I jump, no fear, get to the highest point. I'm thinking 20 feet in my mind. I don't know how high it is, really. But I did not use my momentum to spin my body all the way around. I used momentum to spin my body just flat, face first. And so I fall straight. I'm pretty sure it's 20 feet. On my face, into the water. Belly flop just doesn't quite describe what happened that day, right? I mean, I just laid there for a minute. I'm pretty sure my friend thought I was dead. Uh, needless to say, the next time it came my turn to do uh, the rope swing, I was a bit more cautious. Pain has a way of taking away our desire to take risks, doesn't it? I mean, it just does as you get older and as you get old, even older. Like now, I'm not jumping off half the stuff I used to jump off of. There ain't no way I'm jumping off of that, right? I, I'm kind of scared to jump off the stage. I don't know if my legs can hold me anymore. As, I, as you get older and older, you become more and more afraid to take risks. The same thing is true in life. And the same thing is true spiritually speaking. It seems like the longer we walk with Jesus, and the more times we step out on faith, and the more times maybe things don't work out exactly the way we thought they would, the less we're willing to take those risks that we used to take. What if, what if I told you this morning that the, the faith that God calls us to, the faith that Jesus calls us to, looks something more like that the person who walks the tightrope between two buildings with no net and no harness, saying, I actually believe I can get to the other side because this 
this, uh, this tightrope will hold me, and I really believe a bird's not going to fight me. Have you ever thought that, by the way, like when you walk, watch him walk across the, that tightrope, like what if a bird comes by and decides that's his roost? Like what's going to... Anyway, but so, so what he calls us to, though, is that sort of faith that says, I believe 100% I can walk across this. I don't need a net because I'm not going to fall. I don't need a harness because I'm not going to fall. What if I told you this morning that the faith that Jesus calls us to is a faith that says, I'll do whatever you want because I know even if I do fall, you'll catch me. Even if I do crash and burn, you'll take care of me. The problem is, is that as we go through life, even as we go through life as believers, what happens? We step out on faith, we join a church, people run over us, hurt our feelings, we're less likely to join the next one. We step out on faith, we agreed to lead that group, People don't show up. It's a total disaster. We're less likely to to volunteer to lead that next one. We step out on faith. We take a risk. It falls through. We're less likely to take the next one. Little by little, we learn how to, spiritually speaking, stay close to the ground. Little by little, we learn that we can follow Jesus, at least in our mind, without ever really taking any risks. We can pretend we can go through the motions of walking with the Lord without ever doing anything that's all that scary. We can stay really close to the ground and feel like we're walking with Jesus. Almost as if we have a backup plan. Almost as if we have a safety net under us. We're always looking for that safety net. Lord Jesus, I will follow you as long as I know that if I fall, it's not going to hurt. I will follow you as long as I know if I fall, I'm not actually going to hit the ground. I will follow you as long as I see a clear path to victory that doesn't require me to actually trust you to get me there. That really becomes our method, doesn't it? Like if we're totally honest this morning, don't you feel like sometimes we fall into this category of just sort of going through the motions, staying close to the ground, minimizing risks, never actually taking any chances because we're not really sure if he's going to catch us. We're not really sure... What would happen? So we look at this passage of Scripture this morning in Mark chapter 7. We see a group of folks who had become experts at the safety net. They'd become experts at the harness to catch them. They'd become experts at not taking risks of making sure that what they did was safe and secure. Almost as if God had to provide for them because they were doing everything they were supposed to do And they had all the the boxes checked. And so we come to Mark chapter 7 in verse 1. The Pharisees, the religious group of the day, they always had questions for Jesus. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews who do not eat unless they wash their hands Uh, properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing the, the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And so these guys were convinced that they had all their boxes checked and that as long as they kept their rules and their traditions... Them and God were cool. And so they had defined basically the way that you would do this and the way that you would make sure that you weren't spiritually dirty is that you would wash your hands, your cups, your pots, 
even the place that you sit. And you're like, well, duh. Hand sanitizer, hello, right? I'm sure all of you got some in your purse, right? Oh, it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, let me use some of that, right? I mean, we, we're, we're always afraid of germs, but that's not what's going on here. They don't even know about germs. They have no idea about germs. All they know is that these Gentile people and these other people are spiritually dirty, and they don't want none of their spiritual cooties on them. And so they're going to go home, and they're going to take a bath because these dirty people were around them had nothing to do with germs. It had everything to do with the spiritual mindset that I can go through a ritual, I can go through a tradition, go through a process, and I can wash off my sin. I can wash off my dirtiness so that God will accept me. And Mark even says they had many other traditions of the elders. In other words, they had a bunch of stuff that they went through to prove that God was good with them and that they were good with God, that God had to accept them. And so, I mean, you think about this, guys. This was not an easy process for them. They didn't have a dishwasher. Can you imagine life before dishwashers? Can you imagine life before a sink? Before running water? And here they are, like every bit of water you get, you've got to carry in a pot. And they are using this water that they carry to wash and ritually wash all these things. This is how important it is to them. Because they believe that this is their safety net. They believe this is their wire harness. They believe that if they do this, God has to and will accept them. And we look at that and we say, that's crazy. But is it? How many traditions do we have that we feel like if we do this, well, then God loves me. See that cross on the wall? Yeah, he's protecting me. See this thing I have in my car? Yeah, he's keeping me safe. Oh, you, you don't know, I, I, I go to church three times a week. God has got my back. You know, I, I've never actually missed Sunday school. There was this one time I thought I was going to, but I didn't. Oh, you don't understand how much I give. Oh, you don't understand, I get up five hours early just to pray. Oh, no, I get up and, and I read my Bible. I read my devotional every day. No, you don't understand, I sit in the same pew and I've been sitting in there the last 30 years. God loves me. I sing louder than anyone. He loves me. He loves the way that I sing. He loves this. He loves that. I even cried a little last Sunday. You get the point. We begin to believe that our traditions, the things that we do, not necessarily that they're bad. I mean, it's not wrong to even wash your hands, right? I mean, that's actually a good thing. We're required to do that in my house before we eat. It's not a bad thing. Reading your Bible is a good thing. Praying is a good thing. But none of these things equal a safety net or a wire harness that says God is okay with you. It, it's like this. Uh, and you, you know this happens. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're worried and you think, oh, I'm okay. I went to church this week. God must be okay with me. See, they, these guys, they really believed that they had somehow figured out the formula for God to, to love them, to earn his salvation, to earn his acceptance. And so they come to Jesus and his disciples and they say, wait a minute. You guys aren't washing your, your hands the way that we were taught. The way we've always done it around here is like this. And you guys aren't doing it. And you call yourself holy? Don't you know what your mom and dad taught you? Don't you know how we've always done it? Don't you know our traditions? Isn't it funny how we, I'm like, we really don't change, right? I mean, we still have the same stuff. And so basically, they're saying, if you don't do it the way that we've been taught, then you're not part of us, and you certainly can't be from God. And so Jesus looks at them in Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And this is his response to them. 
after they come down on him. In verse 14, he said, and it says, And he called, the people to him, he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. In other words, I really want you to listen to this. Pay attention. There's nothing. That pretty much leaves out everything, right? There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, can make him unclean, can make him unworthy of God. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So the disciples don't get it either. Verse 18, And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. In other words, separate a person from God. The things that come from within a person. Not the things that go in. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you wash your hands... You can't get them clean. It doesn't matter how many traditions you follow, you can't make God accept you based on those things. Your actions will never equal to God's acceptance. It is not done by ritual. It is not done by modified behavior. Now, you see, your problem is in here. It's in your heart. Not your physical heart, your spiritual heart. Jesus says it's out of your spiritual heart become evil thoughts, not the physical heart. Me and Zoe had this discussion Friday. She was like, Dad, did you know uh, women have bigger hearts than men? And I'm like, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say your mama loves you more than me? But, and so I was like, you talking metaphorical or physical? She didn't really understand that. She wasn't down with that conversation. She was talking physical. But here Jesus is talking spiritual. He is saying the way that we think, the way that we act, the things that make us get up in the morning, the things that make us excited are all wrong apart from him. What he is saying here is that our very center of being is what's wrong. The way that we think about the world is what's wrong. That's actually what got Jesus in so much trouble, you know it? Because what he was looking at these people and saying is, what's wrong, what is wrong with you is not something you can fix by washing your hands in your dishes. What is wrong with you is not something you can fix by praying more. What is wrong with you is not something that you can fix by living the way your mama taught you to live or by doing good for others. There is nothing that can fix what is wrong with you. It doesn't matter how many traditions you keep. To put it as plainly as possible, what Jesus is saying here is that the problem is us. The problem is you. What is on the inside? The issue is is that all of us believe, though, and the reason why nobody ever gets Jesus in the Gospels and the reason why we have such a hard time is we really believe it's something on the outside, right? My mama didn't raise me right. I didn't grow up in the right home. I didn't have the right uh, education. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I wasn't raised in the proper way. Surely somebody else is to blame for my problems. When the whole time the problem is us. See, we believe that, that the problem is out here and the solution is in here, right? I just got to dig deeper. But when Jesus looks at these people and says, it says, no, the problem's not out here. The problem's actually in here. And the only way that can be fixed is if you change your heart. But guess what? None of us can change our heart. 
Jesus is the only one who offers a new heart. He's the only one who can fix our heart. And so when you read through Mark's gospel, nobody gets this. The struggle for everyone is they're trying to figure out a way to do what Jesus is telling them to do. <clears throat> everyone believes that he's offering them a new way to live. But he's not. He's offering them life, period. He, what he's trying to show them is, I'm not telling you to modify your behavior and you'll be okay. He's saying, I am the life. He doesn't say, I'm the way to life. He doesn't say, I'm going to show you a new way to live. He says, I am the life. I offer you life. I will offer you a new heart. The problem is, is we don't think about it in those terms. We don't think about it in terms of we are helpless to help ourselves. We think about it in the terms of, like, like my kids, you know, when trying to teach them how to ride bikes. And, and so they'll sit there and they ever, can't ever get going, right? I mean, they're struggling, they're pushing, they just can't get going. If I come up behind them and I give them a little shove, a little shove, not a hard shove, not down a hill, promise. I'm over that, I'm growing up. But, but anyway, so a little shove... Well, you know what happens? They take off. Man, they can pedal. They can get going. And I, I think that's the way we think about our spiritual life. Like, man, if Jesus would just come along and he'd give me a little shove, I could get going and I could finally get over the hump and everything would be okay. The problem is, guys, we don't need help getting over the hump. We need a new heart. When you read through the Gospels, you see people coming to Jesus thinking that he can help them tweak a few little things in their life and everything will be okay. Like the rich young ruler comes and he's like, hey, what do I need to do to get into heaven? Jesus is like, be good. And he's like, I am good. I don't have to worry about that. And he's like, give everything away and give up on that and follow me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I've worked too hard to get where I'm at. I just wanted you to give me a little shove to get over the hump. Guys, there is no hump to get over. The problem is, is that our heart is messed up. And that until he gives us a new one, we're not getting any better. The very first step in following Christ is understanding that there are no second options. There are no safety nets. There are no magical harnesses to grab onto. There are no traditions we can follow to get better off with God. The only option we have is His grace, is the payment that He made for us and the new heart He offers us in the gospel. And so I ask you this morning, what are you trusting in? How are you trying to be right with God? You're trying to be right with God based on what you do or how you do it. You're trying to live based on the fact that you feel like you've got a safety net. Maybe not washing hands, but there's some other things. You're like, man, as long as I keep doing this, God is good with me. I, I can handle this. And then I want you to come to verse 24. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And see, see the, the greatest, maybe I'm, I would go ahead and say probably the greatest faith we see in the Gospels, at least. In verse 24, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet. Uh, uh, no, yet he could not be hidden. In verse 25, But immediately a woman, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Verse 26, Mark gives us some more details. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. This lady has a major issue, right? Her daughter has a demon. So she's seeking out someone to help her. And she has such a desperate situation, she as a Gentile woman is willing to break code, to break tradition, to approach this Jewish rabbi. 
Jesus has just been fighting with the, the Jewish people over tradition. And here we have this woman who's a Gentile who is not from the, the Jewish line. He, she is not part of the Jewish people. She is somebody who is, in their minds, an outcast. She knows what uh, the Jewish people think of her. She knows especially what the Jewish men think of her. In this day, the Jewish men would have looked down on Gentile women and wished they wouldn't have been born because they give birth to Gentile people. Like this was their mindset towards those outside of their group. And so this woman knows the way that these people think about her. She knows that they look down on her. But she hears about this man, this man named Jesus, this man who heals people, who casts out demons, who talks about love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. So she socks herself up, I'm sure, and walks in the middle of these Jewish men, these teachers, these Jewish religious leaders who would have thought that she is nothing but dirt. And she goes in the middle of them and she lays down at Jesus' feet. And she begins to beg him to heal her daughter. Now those of you who have children know there's nothing you would do, would not do to take care of your children to provide for your children, to heal your children. It's always the best bet for me not to go with the kids to the doctor when they are actually sick because me and the doctor will never see eye to eye unless he can snap his fingers and make them well. Like, that's what I expect when I walk in. If you can't make this happen, I'm not going to be happy because I don't like to see my children sick. I mean, it's just... Uh, anyway, but... And so I can imagine this woman laying there begging, pleading, crying with Jesus for Jesus to heal her daughter. But then look at... Verse 27. This man who she saw as her only hope. Verse 27. Not going to lie, probably the most offensive verse, at least in the Gospels, maybe in the whole Bible. Jesus looks at this woman and he says to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We read that and we say, What? Why would Jesus talk to this woman this way? He is saying to her, you are not a part of the people of Israel. You're on the outside. You're like a dog, and the people of Israel are like children. Now, when you read the commentators, they do not like this verse. They are going to explain it away and be like, no, Jesus was talking about pet dogs. He wasn't talking about the dogs running around in the street. He's talking about pet dogs. Yeah, that's way less offensive, right? Like if you call somebody a dog, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's offensive no matter what kind of dog it is. Jesus looks at her and he says, first let the kids eat and, and, and I'm, I'm not giving their food to the dogs. I mean, as we look at this passage, it kind of, kind of upsets us a little bit if we're totally honest, right? I, I mean, why, why would Jesus say this? If this is me and I'm this woman, I'm thinking I, I'm out of here. Like, you can't talk to me that way, Jesus. I mean, how dare you? I'm going to take my business elsewhere. Reminds me of uh, when we first moved to uh, North Carolina. I got a job at, at, at Lowe's, and at Lowe's I was a cashier. And I don't know if you know this or not, just for those of you who go shopping and you want to point out things to cashiers, they have zero control over what goes on in the store. Like zero. Like probably less than zero, actually. But there would always be people who were upset that Lowe's did not have the particular product they wanted for the price that they wanted it at. And they felt like it was their duty to explain to us cashiers, hey, Y'all don't have what I want. I'm going to Home Depot. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. I have no idea who's in charge of that. Like the store manager probably doesn't even know the guy who's in charge of that. I don't know why you feel the necessary to tell me, but 
you know, okay, I'm glad it makes you feel better to yell as you walk out of the store because we don't have the right price. I get it. Totally, totally fixes the situation. And, but, but, I mean, that's the mindset, right? If you don't have what I want, I'll go down the road and get it. And I'll get what I want because I'm a consumer and I have the right to demand this. Why? Because there's other options out there. And I'm afraid sometimes that's how we think about Jesus. It's my right for you to help me, Jesus. You have to help me. And I hope as I say that out loud, it's dawning on you. Actually, he doesn't. Who's God? I'll let you in on a secret. It's not you. Let you in on another secret. You're not boss. You may feel like you're boss, but you're not. You're not the customer. You may want to be the customer, but you're not. It is your privilege to enter into his presence. It is not your right. If he took us all out of this life right now, he would owe us nothing. Who is given to the Lord and it will be paid back? What the Bible says. God says, who, who do I owe? I'll go ahead and settle my debts now. He owes us nothing. And so this woman comes in and she says, heal my daughter. And he says, no, nah, you're a dog and I'm going to take care of the kids. Look at verse 28. You want to talk about humility and you want to talk about faith. Look at this woman's response. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. No entitlement. No, well, I deserve this. No, well, you better get snapping. I wash my hands this week. No, you better get snapping. I went to church this week. You better do what I told you to do, Jesus, right now and on my timetable. I haven't missed Sunday school. No, her response is, you want to call me a dog? That's fine. I'll take the crumbs off your table because the crumbs off your table are way better. They're infinitely better than any meal I could get anywhere else. There's nowhere else for me to go. You're my only hope. I don't have a safety net. I don't have an insurance plan. I don't have a backup plan. You're it. And if you don't help me, I've got nowhere else to go. You're the only shop in town offering what you're offering. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. See, guys, the same thing was true for her. It's true for us. We have no rights. We have no other options if he doesn't help us. But somewhere along the lines in our spoiled, entitled nation, we've gotten it in our heads that we don't need Jesus, that he needs us. He needs my business. No, he doesn't. We've gotten in our heads that we can command him, right? Jesus, I'll let you save me, but you just save me on Sundays. Monday through Saturday is my time. Jesus, I'll let you forgive me and I'll let you come in my life as long as I'm not too busy doing something else. As long as I don't want to use the stuff you want me to use for you uh, on something else. We come and we're like, well, listen, Lord, I, I've read my Bible this week. I'm on my reading plan. I did not even skip Leviticus. Hello, I get some points for that, right? Have y'all ever read Leviticus? We need some extra points for reading through Leviticus. That's a hard book to read through. But those of you who've not read it, you better read it. You better get your points. No, I'm just kidding. Leviticus helps uh, understand who God is and understand his law. It is important, but it's hard to read. That's my point. You should read Leviticus. Don't hear the pastor saying you shouldn't read Leviticus. But it's like when we do stuff like that, what do we automatically assume? You owe me. 
You better get on what I want right now. But this woman, she gets what we don't get. She gets what the disciples don't get. She gets what the religious people don't get. She understands there isn't any other option. She understands Jesus calls the shots. She understands she is not so big, she is not so important that she can't be called a dog by Jesus. She doesn't go away offended. She's like, hey, he's talking to me. I'm going to talk back. And I'm going to say, hey, by the way, I'll take crumbs. I'll take whatever you offer because you are worth it. See, that's why this passage is so offensive to us. Because we feel like Jesus should be willing and ready to do whatever we want when, he want, when we want him to do it. We feel like we ought to be the ones in the driver's seat. Am I right? Like the other day, my kids, I think we were getting them ice cream or something, and they started making all these demands about the type of bowl it should be in, the type of spoon, what should be on it, what should be in it, what should be all around it. I'm like, listen, I'm giving you ice cream. I am the ice cream giver. If I decide you don't want any ice cream, you ain't getting any, so you better quit making demands, right? I feel like Jesus ought to do that sometimes. Like, you quit demanding so much and start receiving based on my terms. You see, we, but we have it in our mind that we get to call the shots. Like, you know what? Somebody down there hurt my feelings. I'm not going to worship him anymore. I'm not going down there to worship. Bless your heart. You know, you're the first person that's ever been offended in church. Can you believe that? He doesn't expect you to worship him anymore. Not if we don't do things the way you want him to do them. Guys, we, we have to get over ourselves. We don't have rights. We really don't. He's the one with all the rights. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who calls us to do what we are called to do. He is the boss. She gets this and she says, I will do whatever it takes and I will take whatever you give. And until we get there, we're not going to be walking on faith. We're going to be walking based on what we think we deserve. We're going to be walking on this imaginary safety net as if, Jesus, this is what what I expect out of you. But look at Jesus' response to her. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Your faith has saved your daughter, woman. Your faith has made her whole. Because of your belief in me, because of your trust in me, what you asked for has been received. You see, she was willing to submit herself to Jesus no matter what it cost her, no matter how offended she was. She was happy to receive his blessing whether it was on her terms or his terms. Can I just be honest with you this morning? Like, more honesty, thanks a lot, right? I mean, but I feel like if it's been a while since Jesus offended you, maybe it's been a while since you've been walking with him. Read through the Gospels and tell me how many people walk away from Jesus not offended. I don't find anybody that he doesn't challenge, that he doesn't push to go further and farther, that he doesn't question, that he doesn't call out of their comfort to do something more. See, if you're listening to God, there are going to be times that he disagrees with you. Did you know that? When's the last time God disagreed with you? If, if he never disagrees with you, are you sure you're following him? Maybe you're just following yourself. Like, oh God, that's the right answer. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'll do exactly what I want to do after all. Now when Jesus, when we follow Jesus, he gets in our face and he sets us straight. It happens to me all the time. 
Sometimes it takes him longer than others. Sometimes I argue with him longer than others. I'm not going to lie. But, but we have to be careful that we don't fall into a place where we expect everything to be easy all the time. Where we expect everything to be comfortable all the time. Now we, we must get to a place where no matter what he says, we follow. No matter what he asks, we do. Maybe this morning, rather than being like this lady who understands you have no other options, you're, you're like the other folks like, no, I got options. I'll follow Jesus as long as it works out for me. As long as everything's comfortable, I, I, I'm good. But as soon as things get hard, I'm out. As soon as things get offensive, I'm out. Like I, I'm keeping my options open, almost as if you're dating. Like, oh, we're not exclusive. No, are you following him or are you not? Do you honestly believe this morning, guys, that there's any other place of salvation for you? Do you honestly believe this morning there's anyone else who can help you? The answer is no. He's the only place. He's the only answer. So whatever He calls you to, we ought to do, right? Like, I mean, if He loves us enough to die for us, if we really believe that, if we really believe He offers to us eternal life, then what is there that He calls us to that's too much? I, I remember when I was younger, I was a lot better at taking risks than I am now. I don't know what's happened to me. I guess I'm just getting older, but I, I remember when I was younger, it was so much easier to take risk. Like, whenever I felt God calling me into the ministry, I just laughed. Like, okay, I don't have any, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, I'm just going to sell everything, I'm going to move to Memphis, I'm going to go to school, no big deal. Like, it never even occurred to me that that might not be a great idea because I felt like that was God calling me to do that. Later on down the line, uh, I found me a wife. She found me. It was a good thing. Like, we, you know, it worked out. But, felt like God was calling us to, to go somewhere else, to go to seminary, to finish up schooling. We didn't really want to listen. It's too far. Let's play it safe. Let's do what we want to do. Let's not do what God wants us to do. You know, this is easier. And so we took the easy path a few times and bounced around. Never really felt like we were in God's plan, God's will. And finally I said, okay. Because I kept trying to find safe ways to do it. And finally I was like, okay, well, you know what? Let's just do it. Because we really had no other option. God painted me into a corner. So we did. Moved to North Carolina, no job, nothing. At this point, I have two kids. I still didn't think it was that big a deal. Like, I, I mean, I have zero way of making money when we get there, but somehow God provided and took care of us. Isn't that amazing? And here we are all the way back in Arkansas uh, again. But, but since then, it's like every time I do something like that, it gets a little harder to take a risk the next time. It's a little harder to step out on faith the next time. I wonder this morning if that's what's going on in your life. Like, man, I've stepped out a few times, and each time I do, it's terrifying. I don't, I don't think I want to do that again. I don't, want, I don't think I want to open myself up and be vulnerable with, with other believers again. Remember how badly it went last time. I don't think I want to lead again. I don't think I want to teach again. You don't remember what happened last time. I don't think I want to take another risk. You don't remember what happened last time. What is God calling you to this morning that if you actually believed that he's the God of the universe and he's boss, that you would do? What have you been making excuses for? What safety nets have you been hanging on to saying, well, I would do that, but that's kind of dangerous? I don't know, Lord. I mean, you know what happened to, to that, that other person that tried that. What's he calling you to? And you're saying, no, maybe next week. Maybe next month. Maybe when this happens, then I'll feel safe enough. As long as I can see that there's safety ahead, I'm okay. What are you putting off 
because you are afraid? What are you putting off because you're not trusting? I've thought about that as a pastor and as a church. What are we doing? When's the last time we took a risk? When's the last time we did something that was dangerous, that, that might be considered stepping out on faith? When's the last time we said, you know what, Lord? Whatever you want. doesn't matter what happens. It's yours, and if we crash and burn, we crash and burn. Do we trust Him enough to do things like that? Not jumping off the stage, of course. You have to get a younger pastor to do that. But, but what is He calling us to as, as a people, as a church, that, that might require us to say, you know, we've never done that, but He is calling us to it. Maybe we should try this or try that. Why are we playing it so safe if we really believe? Guys, if we really believe this morning that Jesus Christ died to save the world from uh, our sins, if we really believe that the people outside these walls without Christ are going to hell, if they don't hear of Christ, if we don't invest in them and build relationships with them to share the gospel with them, if we really believe that Jesus is the only answer And why are we not willing to take risks to reach them? Is it selfishness? Is it lack of faith? Maybe we don't really believe that. Ask yourself this morning, what risk would you be willing to take if you actually believe that? You say, I do believe that. In fact, you kind of make me mad. I hope so. Go and and serve the Lord. Take risks. Do what He's calling you to. Quit making excuses. In case you don't know this, the, the, the safety net that you're depending on, <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's an illusion. It's not actually there. All these things that you think may, make you play it safe, it's not really happening. You're not really playing it safe. You're just missing out on God's blessings in your life. Maybe this morning you're playing it safe because you're like, you know what, I, I don't need Jesus telling me what to do, where to go, when to do it. I, I'm going to keep living my own life because that's safe. Is it? What's waiting for you at the end of that life? Eternal security, eternal salvation? Only death, only pain, only more heartache. Maybe you're like, I I am a believer, but I I don't really want to get too involved. If I get too involved, who knows what will happen? Maybe I'll get my feelings hurt. Spoiler alert, if you get too, if you get involved on a serious basis with any church, you are going to get your feelings hurt. You can write it down. It's going to happen. I'm not even a prophet, but I can tell you that. It's going to happen because we're dealing with people. And and people will hurt us. And so we we have to step out on faith and say, Lord, you are worth it. This is not safe. This is not normal. This is not sane. But you are worth it. What are you willing to do this morning to follow a Savior such as this? If you would, stand with us. And as you stand, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to have a moment of invitation. During this moment of invitation, what this is, this is an opportunity for you to respond to whatever it is God is calling you to. If you need to come and you need to pray at the altar and just get some things right between you and Him, you do that. If you need to pray right where you are, you do that. You want to come pray with me, you come pray with me. Whatever it is God is calling you to, I want you to respond to Him. Let me pray for you and then we'll sing. Father, I thank You. Lord, I thank You that You are good. God, I thank You that we can trust You. That we know, God, that You are good and that You never lead us somewhere You don't want us to go. God, that you never lead us somewhere and just drop us off. But God, that you are always with us. You're always walking with us. Father, help us to be brave this morning. Help us to quit making excuses and give up on our safety net and just trust you wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to do, Father. 
Lord, I pray that those here who have been playing it safe, Lord, those who, who don't know you, that they would step out on faith and say, Lord, if you don't catch me, I'm going to fall. Lord, I pray that you would draw out those who need salvation this morning, that you would redeem them by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, those who have experienced that, Lord, that you would uh, empower them to go out with new boldness and new passion to share the gospel this week. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you?